And that's the thing with pop music too, is that you can put it into so many different genres with different instruments and it still sounds freaking dope. This is In The Key Of Q, featuring musicians from around the world who inspire my queer identity. Everybody is welcome to the conversation, whatever beautiful identity pleases you. Music helps us feel connected and know that we are not alone. This program is made possible thanks to the financial support of listeners like you over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. And remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dan Hall. Tune in and be heard. This week's guest is from Edmonton, Alberta in Canada. His music combines personal experiences, passion, and is inspired by artists as varied as Vanessa Carlton, John Mayer, and Metric. He is an educator, a model, and an actor. He's sung since the age of two and has written songs since he was 12. It's a pleasure to welcome to In the Key of Q, Matthew Akbu. Matthew, hello. Hi, how are you, Dan? When I was really young, I was actually very shy, which is funny for all the people that I know in my life to hear. They're like, oh, that's not that's not Matthew at all. But I didn't say very much of anything until music was the thing that really got me to come out of my shell. I remember when I was two, I did uh, used to love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, and every Saturday, we'd watch his commercials and I would take my hand out of my mouth and be running around my house, singing the theme song, talking about the Ninja Turtles. Um, and it just wouldn't stop. It wouldn't stop. Um, also within my house, too, my mom would listen to a variety of different artists. She'd make us listen to Celine Dion, James Ingram, ABBA. And then on my other side of it, then I had my brother who'd listen to rap music from NWA, Wu-Tang Clan, um, Nas, and other things. And it just built up all this these different types of genres that I just love to feed off of and draw inspiration from. That's interesting as a European to hear that ABBA made it across to Canada. I always thought that they weren't necessarily that that big in North America, certainly not until Mamma Mia took off. No. Well, I, I know that in our house, my mom had, I think, at least four ABBA albums that we would listen to. One of my favorite songs to hear from them was Waterloo. I loved the way that that sounded. Um, SOS, Fernando, like all the classics. I just I just love the sound. I love looking at the album and seeing, wow, these these two beautiful women and then these two beautiful men. And I just, I just loved it. I loved the sound. I loved everything about it. Waterloo was ABBA's first sort of international single because it was the song they came into 
into people's consciousness with because they won the Eurovision Song Contest with it. And my mum talks about watching the Eurovision Song Contest at home, and she just said it was like nothing else. That that I, I kind of envy my mum that, that she saw ABBA when ABBA wasn't a thing, and she yeah. got to experience that. What the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what that was a pop song about the Battle of Waterloo for a start. It was like, what? <laughs> that's such such a magical moment. And that's the magic of pop music, right? And so the magic of, of music where you can take something that may be a little bit mundane, a little bit strange, and then whip it into something that is so whimsical and it catches your attention that you just go off with it. But people often dismiss pop music hugely. They they say, it's, oh, it's just throwaway three-minute nonsense. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it doesn't necessarily get the credit it deserves? Because I imagine it's not easy to write, and I don't imagine, actually, it's easy to sing. No, it's not. It's not easy. It's, um, I feel like just like every kind of music, it's not, it's not easy. But pop music seems to get this reputation, I think, just because of connotations of it being sell out from your roots or whatever it is but pop is really a derivative from popular and for any musician and any artist wouldn't you want to be heard by masses of people i mean i would personally so i have no qualms about being referred to as a pop musician and i and i wish that more musicians now would not go away from the pop music writing um, um, mentality and, and structure because it's just really finding music that connects with people, finding music that stays in your mind and is catchy. And I think that happens in a lot of different genres. People just don't say it. first performance was oh my gosh when i was six years old i didn't write anything at that time how but, adorable must you right as a little six-year-old <laughs> <laughs> with my little gap tooth or did i have it at that time i guess usually they just kind of grow in but um i remember we were doing a christmas concert at the church i i went to as a kid and i had gotten i received this solo opportunity so we had the choir of kids and i was the one singing a solo i was so excited about it um the funny thing about it is that the the night that i was going to perform i was horsing around with my sister and i actually burned my cheek on my right side on an iron an iron that was still hot so I had to wear a Band-Aid on the right side of my face for this performance. But 
I still killed it. Like, I honestly, it was as if I can see it right now. I was wearing a green silk kind of shirt with like black designs on it. It was very cool. And I can just envision myself. And I was like dancing on the stage. My hands are up. I was getting the audience to clap up. I was belting my heart out. And it was just such an amazing moment. Wasn't there an artist that used to wear a Band-Aid on his cheek? Was that, was that a fashion that was started by you? Is it like that scene in Mean Girls where the, where the nipples are cut out of the dress yeah. and then suddenly the next day everyone's doing it? <laughs> I'm essentially Regina George, except I'm not a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Nelly, you owe me a lot of residuals because that's who started it, but really it was me. I'm sure I can find pictures. Maybe I'll post them on Instagram. Or something. <laughs> now, I get artists on to this program for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes PR agents get hold of me. Sometimes uh, the artists themselves reach out. Sometimes I've read an article that I've loved. But surprisingly few artists I reach out to initially because I've just stumbled on their songs and thought, oh, I'd love them. I really like that from the outset. The artist music generally, I grow to like it because uh, we do the interview and then I do research on them and I think, oh, their music's great. But occasionally I will find an artist whose music I really like and then it kind of aggressively go after them. And yours is one of those. Your album has these slightly rocky elements, but also isn't ashamed of the pop. And could you tell us a little bit about how you made the journey to that album? The journey into writing this music, well, I've always ever since I was about 17, I was writing my own songs and, and wondering about that. But then I was also inspired by a lot of my friends at the time who were listening to punk music and punk music, pop punk, would have a lot of those same elements in it that I would hear on the radio. And then there was things like Avril Lavigne, Michelle Branch, Vanessa Carlton, who were those kind of women who rock, who write their own songs and um, have their own attitudes and their personalities and their opinions about things. And I always loved that. So when I went about writing this album, it was kind of like a accumulation of the experiences that I have come across and also the inspiration with my writing part partner, Lorenzo, who we came together and he comes from a background where System of a Down and Queens of the Stone Age and Linkin Park are some of his inspirations and musicians that I also really appreciate and really like their artistry. So it was really an easy kind of mesh to mesh all of these things together. Do you think it's important for us queer people to hear musicians singing and out queer voices? Absolutely. I think it's so important. There's so much representation of, of hetero relationships and heteronormativity that it really does silence a lot of voices within the queer community. And music is such a great way for us to express ourselves, hear ourselves, love ourselves, and gain confidence in ourselves. And when you don't really hear your story or a story that could be similar to yours in music, it, it's hard for you to connect. It's, it's really hard for you to connect and it's hard for you to um, feel good about yourself and, and create confidence. 
what was I like as a kid? I was super happy-go-lucky. I was very, um, I was a very, I was a very happy kid. I led a very happy life. I had a lot of really cool friends, a lot of male friends, a lot of female friends. Um, very personable. I talked a lot. I really talked a lot. It would get me in trouble a lot. Um, but being a kid was just so great. It was so great living in, in Edmonton. It's where I'm born and raised. So it was great to be around my two brothers and my younger sister. And yeah, it was just all of us just taking on the world. And, and so when did queerness become relevant to you? Or, or maybe a better way of putting it is when did you start to become aware of it? Mm-hmm. I would, I think I would say my earliest recollections of my, my sexuality would be, I think when I was probably in high school, when I was definitely feeling the notions of, I like girls, but I also am interested in, in boys, but I never really acted on anything like that until I was much older. I was about 25 years old. And I had just got my heart broken. My heart was broken. And I made a trip over to visit some friends in Vancouver, BC, which is just an hour flight away from where I am. And I came to my my realization. Now, before that point, I was trying to figure things out. And I thought for me, it was really important for me to find out who I was as a human being first before. I added the very important part of my my sexuality and my queerness. So I took a lot of time to myself to find out who I was, what do I want to do in life, what inspires me, what what angers me, what are things that make Matthew Athlew tick. I made sure that I didn't date. I didn't date anyone for about two and a half years. I made connections with my friends. I connected with my family. And I really dove into music at that point, too. And I think that really helps to kind of lead me to the path that I am right now. But it can be easier said than done. That's very true, because there's so many people who are not as blessed and privileged as I am to have family that are super accepting and loving of me for who I am. They're loving of me before and loving of me even more now. It seems very sad, doesn't it, that we still have these conversations now where we talk about people having to flee unsafe homes. And and it makes me cross when at the same time I hear straight communities going, uh, why do they still need pride? They've got everything. In fact, I hear gay people saying that. I hear nice gay men in their nice houses who have just pulled up the drawbridge and gone, yeah oh, well, it's all all right for me now. So I don't know why everyone's still fighting because, you know, it's all fine for me. And you just think, well, just because it's fine for you doesn't mean it's fine for everyone. And it's ridiculous in 2022. We're having this conversation still. How can you live in a world where you don't acknowledge that there is pain and suffering, injustices, and, and the white male patriarchy in the world that is running things around to suppress BIPOC people to suppress LGBTQIA to us plus people like this is happening all the time. And 
we need to take a stand and and it's ridiculous when people just say like mm, it's not it's not part of my life Was religion a big part of your upbringing? Yeah, it, it, it really was. We went to church every Sunday. Um, I was involved in choir when I was a, a very young kid. I remember even when I was a little bit older being like, okay, hey, I'm just going to go for the music part and then leave when the sermon would happen. <laughs> I would duck out with my friends and we would like run around the church because I went to like a huge church and we'd run around and like hang out outside or just not be there, avoid my mom's angry stares. And how did you manage to balance the complex relationship that religion and faith has with queer identity, with your own queer identity? Well, thankfully, my mom was a really great supporter of just her kids as being good, moral people based on on just good values. Um, and she would take a lot of a lot of the sermons that were said if they were kind of weird in a way or homophobic or like kind of like misogynistic she'd be like okay let's all sit down and we're going to talk about what was said in this sermon let's let's discuss this i remember actually one time cuz i at this church i guess harry potter when it was a big thing was not okay and i remember she let me read the books cuz they were good and I was reading and that was amazing. And she came home from choir practice and I'm reading Potter and she comes in and she says, I just gotta let you know something important. I said, what is it? She said, oh, well, they talked about Harry Potter. And I said, oh, okay. I said, it's witchcraft or some weird thing like that. And I said, oh. And she just looks at me and she says, so what I want you to do it's just keep reading. But when you go to church, you say nothing, nothing <laughs> about Potter. <laughs> you understand? I was like, noted. Although what a gamble she was taking, telling her talkative son. Right. Who ran around the building, talking to everyone and making a noise. Don't say yeah. this. <laughs> right? Because I do have a fucking big mouth. Now, when 
we finish this recording, Matthew, I take it into the edit suite and nip us here and there, tuck us down, take a couple of bits out to make us both sound incredibly clever and gorgeous. But for the next couple of minutes, I'm not going to do that. It's all yours. I'm going to promise you not to get out the red pencil once. You have a bandstand onto which you're going to stand and have your voice heard without anyone shaping it or rewriting it for you. So off you go. Oh my gosh. There's so much to talk about. So much to talk about. Um, <laughs> um, I think that this is this is such an incredible forum for me to do this. I love the fact that I'm able to talk to people from all across the world and have my music be heard. Like I never thought that this would be um something that actually happens. I always dream in my head, but now that it's actually happened, I'm like, whoa, this is such a trip. Um I'm trying to think of like what else we can talk about. Oh, my album, which is pretty amazing. 10 tracks, gorgeous, produced by Brett Reed and Edmonton. And it is was a labor of love to put it all together. Our first single, Choose Love, is super dope. It's so, so queer love. It's so BIPOC love. It's all about choosing love in situations where you feel like, you know what? I have nothing left to give, but you have friends, you have family. And people that love you, chosen family that will lift you up and support you and give you love. So definitely listen to it. Pick it up and request on your radio stations. Bombard them and say, yeah, I need to hear Matthew and the Keys. And if you don't know them, then you're you're nothing. (laughs) You're a dead station. You're a dead station. You got nothing going on. Oh, what else did I talk about? Oh, I guess that... um, I'm a model as well. Well, it's just pretty fun and exciting. So a lot of shoots aren't happening right now, but when they do, it's such a cool experience to stand in front of the camera and just be like, yo, what up? Let's take pictures. Let's take flicks. As Matthew appears to have forgotten that he's on an audio format, he was oh my po- God. he was posing there <laughs> in that in that silence. I will I will tell you also that I did I did I woke up at 3.30 and I was like, okay, I'm going to get ready. I got to get ready. So I put on a top. I put on some jewelry, some jewelry. And I was like, I got to get ready. And then when I logged on to um, the Zencaster for this, Dan, I looked and it said audio only. And I was like, okay, okay. That, that is, I should have known, but I didn't. And you know what? We live and we learn. Hey, this is John from the Song Surfing Podcast. Song Surfing is a music discovery show featuring some of the best independent music from around the world. A huge variety of genres are covered, from Malaysian punk to Detroit hip-hop to jazz from Iceland and a whole lot more. If you love hearing excellent music and like to discover something new, then come Song Surfing with me. Song Surfing is available on all your favorite podcast apps and at songsurfingpodcast.com. 
Matthew, what was your 15-year-old self like? And what do you think he would make of you now? Oh, my gosh. My 15-year-old self was very talkative, very into music. Um, I was very focused on just making friends, the potential of becoming a pop star one day. And I think the Matthew of then would be so... It would, I think he would be really excited about the person that is doing all these amazing things and performing on stage and writing these really cool songs. Because I think the Matthew of of uh, 15 years old would really like the music that I've written. Really, really enjoy it. Ty McKinney, when I asked him the same question, said that he thought that he would have switched off the station. Really? <laughs> He was like, oh no. He would have been like, who is this old guy talking about love? And and, and Ty isn't old at all. <laughs> he had to change the station. Oh no. Oh no. So, Matthew, what queer artists are you listening to at the moment? Maybe who do you think I should be getting on the show? Um, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I love Mau Mau, who is from Canada. Um, they're an amazing artist. Uh, I've been recently getting into a little bit of Kim Petras once again. Really love the new music that she's putting out. So unapologetically fun pop kind of music. Um, there's another artist that I've been listening. I keep hearing their song Prosecco all the time on my Spotify and I added it to them. I can't remember who. That's Patrick Jean, Bruno Ferrara. Yeah, Patrick Jean. Patrick Jr. right. Love the art that he's doing. Super great. Always write in these same ways where I gotta, ha- I'd have a hook, regardless if I wanted to not write one or not. It would always just be there, um, and I'd still have the same sensibilities within the music as well. And I, I love it. I don't strive away from it very much. Even with the songs on on my album, there are a lot of harder rock elements. Um, that you would find on it, but there's still those pop elements in there. It's ingrained in me. It's in my DNA, very much like S Club 7. It's in my DNA. It's just natural. So I stumbled the other day on a cover version of S Club's Reach, sung by an artist called Harriet, and it was incredible. Sounds like Karen Carpenter. Mm -hmm. She sings it, and it's produced like a Carpenter song. You realize, oh, actually, this is a really good song and I could imagine Karen Carpenter singing this and it was incredible. And that's the thing with pop music too is that you can take it and put it into so many different genres with different instruments and it still sounds freaking dope. 
Oh, I love a good cover. I love a good cover. If you love a good cover, then you must listen to Aiden James's cover of I Want to Dance with Somebody. Ooh. Have I listened to that before? And it's so different from her production. But hearing that song without the gender changes is beautiful. Ah, I love that. <gasps> that was the thing that I used to do as a kid, too. I never would change it from if it was a female talking about a boy, I wouldn't change it. I, but if it was I, I was a male talking about if it was a male talking about a girl, I would, I would just be I would just silence the girl. <laughs> <laughs> I would just wouldn't say those early signs were there, darling. Yeah, they really were. Do you know, I'm I was such a precocious child because in 1987 I would have been 14. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, 14. And I remember listening to Madonna's Lice La Bonita, and there's a line in that that says, you know, where a girl loves a boy and a boy loves a girl. And even though I was yes. a closeted little boy, I was thinking, that's right, sort of heteronormative oppression, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what a precocious little queer kid. Uh, I love that so much. Not even change, don't even change the words. Just be like, that's really precocious of her. <laughs> How dare she? <laughs> and still now, I think it, I was just listening to True Blue the other day, and still now, when I hear that line, I think. Mm. <laughs> but now I'm over you. You are the one who always told me go for second best. You told me down because you couldn't stand my own success. You made excuses just to justify your shady deeds. Huh? Now, Matthew, where can we hear you online? Where can we find you? You can find me on, I am on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, on all streaming music. You can search Matthew and the Keys. You can search me up on my website. That's mathekeys.com, as well as on Twitter and Instagram, at mathekeys. And you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash M.A. The Keys. And so if you can find me on Facebook too, Matthew and the Keys as well. And oh, on my Bandcamp, I forgot about that one. Matthewandthekeys.bandcamp.com. That's where you can purchase my album there too. And you can purchase a physical album and I'll send it out to you as well. And of course, we'll put links to all these wonderful places in the show notes. Matthew, you just yeah. made me think, I think we should set up a music streaming service called Fire. So you could just say, I'm on fire. I'm on <laughs> I love that. I'm on Spotify, Apple, and I'm on fire. And I'm on fire. Oh my gosh. Patent pending. Patent pending that. Yes. Now, we've been listening to your song, Matthew, all the way through this episode, but I think we've saved the best till last. And so I'd like to ask my guests to present a gateway song, a song that is the perfect introduction to their catalogue and something that'll make audiences absolutely fall in love with you. What would your gateway song be and why? My gateway song would be my single, Choose Love, because it is all about finding love, finding choosing love in situations where you feel like you're depleted and you have nothing. But you always have your friends and your family and your chosen family to help support you up. And it's always just the best thing to do is just to choose love in, in all situations of your life. So I would say Choose Love is my gateway track. 
Matthew Akplu, thank you so much for coming here on In the Key of Kiyu and sharing with us your stories and your music. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. And thank you to all the listeners of In the Key of Q. I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can support In the Key of Q via Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Theme music is by Paul Lee Nidu at UnstoppableMonsters.com with press and PR by Paul Smith. Help others discover new queer musicians by rating and reviewing In the Key of Q wherever you find podcasts. Thanks to Catch and Murray for their continued support and to you for subscribing. The show is made of pup media. I'm Dan Hall. Go listen to some music, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Zan the Artist is our next episode's guest on In the Key of Q. You can't fix anything that's not exposed. You can't heal what's not exposed, you know? You have to first admit that there's a problem, and then we work on the solution to fix the problem. But if everybody's too scared to have those conversations, how is anything ever going to get fixed? That's Zan the Artist appearing next time on In the Key of Cue.